A quick note before we start today's episode. While this was recorded before the COVID-19 global pandemic, it very much still applies to today's environment. There's so much loss going on around us. Loss of job, loss of daily social contact, loss of normalcy, and of course, loss of lives. We are all grieving, even though we are all grieving differently. Hopefully this episode will not only bring you clarity, but it will also bring you comfort. Benjamin Franklin said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Whether it's the loss of a first pet or a grandparent, you've experienced death, loss, and you're going to experience it again. It's unavoidable. Everyone has experienced this. It's kind of like the great equalizer. So how do we get through it? And not just loss through death, but loss in friendship, loss in jobs. That's what we're going to find out today. And we're going to start with a story. This is Angie Champion. And she has her story about loss just like the rest of us. But what makes her story unique is that she lost her mother twice. The day that I found out that my mom got sick was a brutal one. She had a brain tumor in 1989. My sister was 11 weeks old. They fixed her, and that was awesome. And then when the brain tumor came back, I was actually pregnant at 20 years old with my first son. Obviously, receiving the news that the tumor was back was devastating. But the family pushed on and prepared for surgery. My dad called me, and I could tell in the tone of his voice, something went wrong. A mishap in the surgery occurred, and she stroked on both sides of her brainstem, causing her to be quadriplegic, knocked down. This mishap would change everyone's lives, both physically and emotionally. And I just remember, so like yesterday, running through that hospital, and I had no idea what I was going to find. And when we went into that ICU unit, she had every single tube imaginable that I could ever see coming out of her nose, coming out of her head. She was on a trach, she was on a respirator, you name it, she had it. After many days and nights and talks with the doctors and even changing hospitals, they realized this was their life now. Their mother was a quadriplegic and they couldn't take care of her themselves. I was a new mom, I was still you know, a full-time student working and my mom was in this facility and we would go visit her. She was unable to communicate, she couldn't move. She didn't even know we were there. It was like she was in a comatose state. And as you'd expect, this was really hard on Angie. I wasn't functioning at all. And they put me on antidepressants and anxiety meds. They worked for a while. But she can still remember that one moment the following year. I remember Christmas. I was just really struggling with it. And I went to go see mom. And now she's at Mercy Hospital in South Buffalo. And I looked at her and I just couldn't handle it. At this point, she had known that people were there. She could hear us. So she'd blink her eyes or she'd grunt. Whether she knew who we were, I have no idea. It's sad to say, but truthfully, the day that she got sick, when she went into that state on October 20th, we essentially lost her. This was their new life. And there were high moments. Angie's mother was able to make it to Angie's wedding and her brother's wedding as well. And while they're not sure that she knew she was at a wedding... They were grateful for those moments because for most of those seven years, it was just them sitting in a room with their mom, hoping she knew that they were there. When it finally came time for Angie's mother's life to end, she said it was a different type of grief. 
we were so prepared for it at seven years. It wasn't like a fatal car crash where you can't believe that happened. We knew eventually this was going to happen. We were prepared for this. But I have to say, no matter how much you think you're prepared to lose a parent, especially as young as she was, where she has another 30 years ahead of her, you're never prepared for that. You're never ready to say, yes, my mom died. I still tell this story to all my friends, and it's just as hard today to talk about her getting sick and dying as it was 10 years ago. And while it's still hard, Angie's learned a lot about her own grieving process. She doesn't even cry anymore. She relishes in the memories of that person. In fact, she loves planning funerals. I can relate to the people that lose their loved ones, and I'm able to make that celebration something that would completely represent the person that has passed. The compassion that I have and the love I have for helping people in situations like this and have walked the steps that I have is far greater than I ever would have thought in my past. Even though things get dark and certain times are tougher than others, Angie made it through, graduated college, got married, raised a family, and has become the empathetic, caring person she is today. And it's all because of her mother. I am a bit of a spiritual person, and uh, My Immortal by Evanescence was played at my mother's funeral, and that song will forever be special to me. Every single time I hear it, I'm in the car, I physically can feel her sitting right there with me on my shoulder every step of the way. And that is pretty special because nobody's ever going to take that from me, and that is a bond that I have with her that will forever last. Today on Life Well Learned, we talk grief. Check, check, check. This is. This is. This is. Life. 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 Life well learned. Life well learned. Life well learned. This is Life Well Learned. Hi, I'm Liz Mantel, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about grief. This might seem like a downer of an episode, and I, and I guess it could be, but grief is really unique, and, and at the end, I think you're going to appreciate it a little bit more, and, and not only are you going to be able to help yourself in future situations or maybe even a present one, but you're going to be able to help other people too. So let's jump right in and welcome our first expert. Dr. Tanisha Joshi, clinical assistant professor at Madai College and counseling psychologist. She deals with grief a lot. It's part of her job. So Tanisha, what what is grief? Grief is essentially an emotional reaction that comes to any kind of loss. You can have grief from a very nasty divorce. You can have grief from losing a grandparent that you were prepared to lose. You can have grief from losing a job. You can have grief from the death of somebody. Most often it gets associated with death, but grief and loss is not limited just to death. It's essentially a deep kind of sadness and it's basically an emotional reaction. What may surprise you though is that grief isn't just emotional. It can be physical, too. I mean, when you think about emotions, emotions, yes, they're an experience, but every emotion kind of does have, I believe, very strongly like a mind body in in the mind body connection. And so even if you're saying you're feeling scared, if you scan your body, what do you feel when you're feeling scared? You feel a racing heartbeat. You feel 
you know, a knot in your stomach, essentially, because all the blood from your stomach has been pumped out into your extremities, you start shaking your feet, your your hands get cold, you know, or they get like sweaty, and you're kind of getting agitated, right? This is all a response of your sympathetic nervous system. And so your emotions are very much linked to a physiological component. Now, before we get too far into the ins and outs of grief, there's one very important thing to know. Grief is not a one-size-fits-all. It's very subjective and very personal. So a lot of times people feel like when someone's grieving, they're supposed to do a certain thing, act a certain way, or whatnot. But there are those people that don't do that, and they go through a delayed reaction, and they end up grieving further down the road. So it's not that there's a right or a wrong way to do it. It's very individual. This is Dr. Keith Klosterman. I am the Director of Clinical Training in the Marriage and Family Therapy Program at Medi College. I am also a family therapist at Wheatfield Pediatrics. Now that you know that grief isn't a one-size-fits-all, and people experience grief in their own way, we can introduce the stages of grief. There are five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the one who came up with that idea, and she broke them down into these different stages. And one of the things that happened was it was misunderstood that these are stages. When you think about stages, it's sort of this linear thing that you go through. You finish one stage, you move on to the next, and that. She, d- she never really intended them for to be those for to be stages. So I really think of them more as phases of grief. Remember how we said grief was subjective and individual and not everyone grieves the same way? You don't have to go from denial into the next one, which is depression or then the follow. It's not really that straightforward. One moment you may be in complete denial that this is happening to you. And the next moment you may kind of suddenly realize how angry you are that you went through something that like that. Once that anger works through your system, You may accept that something happened and then you may wake up again feeling really angry. So now that we know it's not a linear process and you don't work your way through it, does that mean that grief is always with you? I wouldn't think of it as that it's always with you. I think the person's memory or let's say the job, that will always be a part of you. But I think you sort of learn how to manage it in different ways. Doesn't mean like if we're talking about death, it doesn't mean that you don't miss the person. And that person may always have a special place, but it maybe it you don't respond emotionally the way you used to with the level of intensity. Okay, let's flip the script. Instead of grief always being with you as a question, can you avoid grief? Just ignore it. I don't know that people do it as consciously. I don't think you have control over a grief process as much as people like to believe they do. It may be that you start, maybe you withdraw. Maybe you start taking out your frustrations. It can result in frustration or anger. You start responding differently to people around you. Maybe you're less productive at work because you're trying to figure this out on your own and process it. I don't think you can leave a grieving process separate and say, okay, here's my grieving process and here's my life. So then what do you do? How do you manage both? How do you manage your life and your grieving and trying to still be that good employee? I just think that the grief and grieving is a normal process. And I think people have to like accept it as painful as that can be. And I think sometimes there's a reluctance to go there because it's like I don't want to go to that place that feels so that makes me feel so sad so step one to getting through is knowing that it's okay it happens to everybody and this is normal 
That's, I think that's a big chunk of the work. One is almost the realization. But what I have found in my work is I, it, it's, it's funny that I almost feel like people need permission. The permission to feel sad, the permission to feel lost, the permission to feel angry, the permission to feel completely deflated, demoralized, you know, loss changes you. This is a good place to point out that loss doesn't just mean loss of a loved one or a human for that matter. You could lose your job. It could be the loss of a pet. It could be a miscarriage. Some of these losses aren't really accepted in modern society as things that you should be allowed to grieve about. There's a name for that. Disenfranchised grief is essentially the category that society does not really accept or validate there's no valid channel for that kind of grief. So, I mean, we're building more awareness around those issues. However, these are the losses that are not acknowledged by society in a way that, let's say, getting diagnosed or dying of cancer, maybe, or dying of a sudden heart attack or car accident or dying in some traumatic way might be. Then you're like, OK, yeah, I get that you can actually go ahead and grieve. So what Tanisha is saying is even though society will discriminate or compare losses, like someone losing a parent versus someone losing a pet. Your loss is not quantifiable. It's not greater than or worse than someone else's. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be angry. Basically, you're allowed to feel. Trying to allow yourself to accept how you feel. It's okay, it's not right or wrong. It just is, and it's, it's a normal reaction to experiencing something like that, a loss like that. When we come back, how to support those people in the grieving process, both at home and at work. That's next on Life Well Learned. So now we know that grief comes in many different ways. It's not just the loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job, a loss of a pet. Basically, it's a loss of what you thought your normal was. In a couple minutes, we're going to talk about ways to support someone through the grieving process. But first, I thought we should revisit the phases of grief because that's important when you're going through grief and also when you're trying to support someone going through grief. So let's revisit them again. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the one who came up with that idea. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a Swiss-American psychiatrist. She was the pioneer of near-death studies. She's the one that came up with the theory of the five stages of grief, also known as the Kubler-Ross model. The five phases of grief really are denial, anger, uh, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. To dive into each of these phases, that could be an entirely different podcast. Some of them are a little bit more self-explanatory than others. Anger, that could manifest its way into every part of your life. You could be angry at the smallest situation, or you could be angry at the person that you lost. Depression. <sighs> Withdrawn. Sad. You want to be alone. Um, the depression could come from worrying about funeral costs. Worrying about where you're going to get your next paycheck. Acceptance. I mean, yeah, it's not a happy time, but you're fully understanding what's happening. You're accepting it. And you might be able to process a little bit better and move on. But when we talk about bargaining and even denial... I thought this was a good point to really explain those two and help you get a better understanding of really what emotionally is going on. 
Bargaining effectively is think of it as a line of defense against the grief. It's a way of postponing the pain. It's a way of postponing the sadness and the loss in the current moment. An example of this would be if you have a parent that is dying and prognostically has been given about six to eight months to live, and you find out that you're pregnant and you really want, you know, your child to meet their grandparent, and bargaining would be this idea that if grandma or grandpa just get to meet my baby then i will not complain i will not hurt as much as i would if they were gone before so it's almost this false sense of hope that the grief will stay at bay if this one event were to occur I think this next phase we're going to talk about denial is going to really be an eye opener and it's going to help us shift into how we can support people going through grief because denial, you don't just experience it when you're going through grief. You can experience it when you're trying to help someone through grief as well. We'll let Tanisha explain. In order to function in this world, right, there is a certain level of denial that we all walk with. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to get out of our houses in the morning, right? We don't we don't get in our car going, oh, this entire 12-mile ride, somebody could hit me and that could be it. There's a healthy level of denial that is in place that permits us to get into our cars, get to work, knowing the statistics on car accidents. We still wake up. Ironically, we're afraid of airplane crashes, but the fact remains that statistically you could be injured in a car crash or die in a car crash much more yet we drive every day all day what allows something like that to happen that is a healthy level of denial now when you hear about a loved one being in a car accident your denial just like theirs gets taken away for a little bit so you may for a little while feel afraid to get in your car because your loved one got into a car accident or if it was a let's say a trailer right every time you see a trailer you get a little afraid of it and you're like wow i'm just going to change lanes right now what happens is that denial ends up becoming a little weaker and weaker and so it does become hard and you kind of want that denial to come back so that you can go back to your pre grieving you know level of functioning yes. it's not so much internalizing it's actually connecting with the fact that we're all human beings and we're all more than human beings we're mortal beings and so in those moments when you're faced with a certain kind of loss um it's very easy to connect and realize well I'm not that special something could happen to me or my loved ones as easily denial is a big part of the grieving process and maybe not in the way you thought it was it also can be part of you being supportive to someone going through grieving and we'll get to that in a little bit but this is the perfect place to switch into how to be supportive to someone going through grief, especially now that we know how subjective and individual it is. Maybe the biggest thing I could say is just being respectful of where someone's at. There's not a right or a wrong way to do this. And I often hear people say, well, geez, you know what? This person didn't even do this or didn't cry or, you know, people grieve in their own ways. And I think being respectful of the differences that are out there in terms of grief is really important. Just having the knowledge we've already learned about the grieving process is a great first step in being supportive of someone, knowing that people grieve differently. That's big. But that still might not answer your question. What do I do for someone that's grieving? My biggest answer is don't try to fix it for them. Don't try to make it better. And they'll just look at me and go, like, I'm sorry, what? You don't want me to make them? You don't want me to 
make them feel better what can you do is you can be present with grief and loss being present is one of the biggest things you can do don't ask them to be strong don't ask them to be brave don't imply in any way shape or form that if they're hurting they're weak when you lose something you care about grief is the appropriate and mentally healthy response but what if your end goal is you just want to see him smile you just want to make him better many a times i'll see very good intentioned people coming in from the perspective of i really want to help them i really want them to feel better well their father just died their child was just you know diagnosed with cancer they just lost a job right now it's okay for them to feel bad about it. and most of us need permission to feel sad than we ever do to feel happier to feel better so give them permission sit with them and cry with them eat ice cream if they want to let them be angry like tanisha said just be there but that still might be hard for you they're not getting better remember earlier when we said denial can be a part of being supportive of someone in that way grief is a little bit contagious it does kind of have this domino effect that you know you come face to face with something that most of the times we don't want to touch we don't want to talk about and you realize your own vulnerability so you almost want that person not to withdraw so that your denial can come back in place like if they must be okay then if ha- if this happened to me i can survive it and if that is the principle then you want them to feel better because you want to feel better and that's the part where i say well-intentioned people are so desperate to help but what they recognize is that they are helpless and that is getting in touch with that human vulnerability that we all don't walk around recognizing that we have within us so the reason you're struggling could be because you're feeding off of their grief you're seeing yourself in it that just means that you need to be strong and and don't hold back don't treat the person who's grieving like they're fragile right so don't suddenly come in and then they're used to carrying 20 loads of work and suddenly they say oh we wanted to give you 10 loads right it's it's really it take the lead from the person it's okay to ask them how are you holding up not how are you doing because if you ask a question like how are you doing either they're forced to say i'm doing like crap mm-hmm. right which most people are unlikely to do or they'll say i'm okay which may not be the honest truth like people who are grieving are very sensitive to do you really want to know how i'm doing so one of the ways that i've phrased it is how are you holding up what that means is you've at some level you've acknowledged that there is something off and that there is holding up to happen it's a subtle change but i found that it tends to give me a better response dr klosterman also has advice for managers in addition to what dr joshi said also understanding when you need to intervene right even though you may you may want to be supportive for a manager you're balancing you know the person there's a job to do with also the person's emotional well-being you're trying to figure out where's the line with that basically the world we live in it's hard to blur that line between work and personal especially when you're a manager i think one of the main things is if you're modeling compassion and if you're modeling empathy and you're modeling and providing a safe trusting space you're much more likely to get a person who'll then say okay i think i can seek comfort here 
you're not fixing the grief, you're not making it better, but I can soothe myself in this space. And so work may very well be that space where they come in just to literally orient themselves again so that they can go back to this life which right now may feel completely unfamiliar. But with mental health being a more acceptable topic in the workplace, does that mean we have hope for the future? Um, I think it depends on the manager. Although I, I agree there is certainly less of a stigma. There still is a large for a lot of people they don't want they either don't want to talk about it or they're uncomfortable talking about it. So I think it's it can be challenging even within that. You know, it's sort of like we recognize mental health is really important, but I don't know that it's necessarily trickled down you know, to the ground, to the ground level where yes, people recognize that, but they also understand what that means and giving people space to work through their things. So then how do we move forward? How do we make it acceptable in the workplace to be able to grieve properly? Most companies offer bereavement days, but now that we know that the process isn't linear and there's no timeline to it, they seem kind of silly. So how do we move forward? I think individual managers and bosses can be the ones who, people with authority, right? Like people with power individually can make that change. But again, I feel like institutionally you make a stand when you look at your sick leave policy and say, okay, that's ridiculous. Like nobody can come back from three days after bereavement. And some people may well choose to show up the next day and that's fine. But if people want to stay beyond those three days, do they have the permission? Do they have the ability? It should not feel like it's a special circumstance that your boss, who's a generous person, gave to you. That's the part that bothers me is why isn't that the norm? Why isn't that the standard that we're all generous when it comes to these losses and being able to support one another? So there's still plenty of room for progress on how workplaces and corporations handle grief. But when it comes to individual grief and dealing with it ourselves, here are some words of wisdom to leave you with. Tanisha says one of the things we can do is stop being cruel to ourselves. We can make it about our own strength. We can make it about our competence. We can make it, we can make ourselves miserable by comparing our pain, right? And all of that really goes back to wanting to feel powerful and in control and not get in touch with our vulnerability. No, 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 and no. And in terms of moving forward, just realize. It's going to be different, and that's okay. It just means that there's opportunities for new memories and new ways of doing things. I think a big takeaway from this episode is empathy. Not just for other people going through a grieving process, but yourself. It's okay to feel the way you feel. You have permission to grieve. To learn more about our experts and to keep the conversation about grief going, you can head to lifewelllearned.org. And if you haven't done it yet, make sure you subscribe and rate Life Well Learned on Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank our experts today, Dr. Tanisha Joshi and Dr. Keith Klosterman. Life Well Learned is brought to you by the Madai Alumni Association. I'm Liz Mantel, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>